Hi there, you're listening to the Estranged Heart Podcast, and I'm your host, Creed Revere. Welcome back to our returning listeners, and if this is your first time here, thank you for selecting this podcast to listen to. As we begin today's episode, I invite you to grab a cup of coffee or tea, settle in, and listen with an open heart. But first, the regular disclaimer. I am not a licensed therapist or counselor. Nothing within this podcast should be considered or taken as therapy. If you are in need of therapeutic support, such as counseling, please seek out a therapist near you. Hi there. First and foremost for today, I want to say welcome to AC. AC has graciously accepted my invitation to become a permanent co-host on the Estranged Heart podcast, and I could not be more excited. I believe our audience is appreciative of his insight and his perspective and what he brings to the table, and I look forward to our continued conversations. We have spent the last couple of months with AC as a, um, a special co-host a couple times a month, and that has been well received by the audience. And I hope that it will continue to be well received to have him on uh, with me in conversation in most all episodes. There will be some solo episodes that he will do and I will do uh, throughout our time together. But for the most part, our conversations will be joint. And I hope that you, um, I hope that you'll join me in welcoming AC. And I look forward to all the new and, and varied and exciting things to come for the estranged heart as we are approaching our two year anniversary at the end of October. So again, welcome AC. So today's episode is titled difficult truths and comforting lies. Why do I need to work on myself when they aren't doing the same? And this is a topic that both AC and I get often and so we decided to dive into that and hopefully answer your questions that you have as a reminder if you have questions for aca and or myself please email those in the email is in the show notes but i'll give it to you here the estranged heart at gmail.com again the estranged heart at gmail.com and yeah, we're happy to answer your questions. And um, here's here's to today's episode. I hope you'll listen with an open heart and find little nuggets of, of gold within this conversation. So one of the questions that I think both of us get hit with a lot whether talking to the estranged adult children, estranged parents, even estranged siblings, estranged friends, whatever, is why why is it so important that I I do work on myself when the other person has made it clear that they're not going to do the work? Is there any point to doing the work if I'm the only one doing the work? You know, like, why is this responsibility landing in my lap? Mm-hmm. And as much as I think that's a really, really good question, it's a valid question. It's also a frustrating question for me. And I, I guess 
we'll, we'll both get into all of our thoughts on that. But I'm just wondering, just like, just on the most surface level, like if I was going to ask you, why do I have to do the work? I mean, what would be like, where would you start in answering me as an, as an estranged adult child? Why do I have to do the work when my mom is free to just keep on being her? Yeah, um, you're right. This is a question that I get often. Um, and my, what I would say is by doing the work on yourself, you're bringing a level of understanding and peace to yourself to navigate your world differently and the way that you navigate your world differently is going to also affect how you navigate the world with your parent or the estrangement or reconciliation or what have you it all of that changes when you are doing the work on on self it also as i always talk about as well is that it has this ripple out effect um i was just talking with a client yesterday who said to me you know the funny thing is all of this work that i i have been doing on myself because of that work i actually have a different relationship a better relationship now with my husband and she's an estranged mom That's so yeah it it is um and i hear that a lot because I'm always talking about this ripple out effect. Only one person really has to do that work from my perspective. I did the work. My kids did not. My estranged adult children did not work on themselves. So as you and I have talked about before, when we do our work, it by default changes the relationship. It can't help but do that because we are different and with that difference brings in a different dynamic to the relationship what who what whoever the relationship is between does that make sense i think it makes sense you know because I, I think when we when we start doing the, the work on like how we interact with the world around us. We have necessarily changed the dynamic of every relationship that we engage in mm -hmm. from that point forward. Because I mean, like keeping in mind that none of us has the, or none of us should really try to control another person. None of us should try to assert control that we're never going to have over other people we should work as hard as we can to assert as much control over ourselves, our own responses, reactions, attitudes, um, philosophies, things we expose ourselves to, like all of these things, they all play into our interpersonal dynamics, you know, and yeah, I, I guess to answer your question, yes, it makes sense. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't want to ramble too long here because I'll get disorganized. And I think that this subject matter is just too important to get like off the tracks. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what do you find in the times that you've talked with people who are estranged? What do you find is the resistance? Have, have, have people said why they feel they should not have to do any work or 
they don't believe it works. They think the parents should do it. They think the kids should do it. Like what, where, what's been your experience with that? The overwhelming majority of my exposure to the estrangement community has been talking with estranged adult children. What I have found to be a common theme amongst these people is that they don't see why they should have to do the work because they perceive themselves to be the victims in the situation. And, you know, there is a degree of truth to that. I think in most, if not all of the stories, not to say that the parents are monsters necessarily, Mm -hmm. but if you, if from your perspective, the way you've interpreted the, the, the relationship is that it has been abusive toward you. That's your reality. That's what you're reacting to. Right. The actual objective facts of the situation aren't playing in so much as your interpretation of the facts. And this is what I I try to be mindful of. Now, when somebody says like, I shouldn't have to do the work because mom and dad, they refuse to go to therapy with me. I always like turn it right back around on them and say like, you know, well, in an ideal world, it would be wonderful if mom and dad went to therapy with you. I have to ask, like, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? Weirdly, this is a question that most of the people I've posed it to don't actually have an answer. They don't know what they're trying to accomplish. And, you know, when I suggest to them, like, is it possible that what you're hoping to do is to hold your parents' feet to the flames, make them accountable in front of a neutral third party, a lot of these people grudgingly will either admit that or they will become openly hostile and super defensive, which tells me that at least to themselves, they've begun to admit that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not like I'm looking to antagonize anybody, certainly not people that have had an experience that like I've also like had. What I'm hoping to sort of point them more towards is recognizing that the the greatest value in doing the work on yourself is, you know, oddly, I mean, you're trying to fix a relationship with another person, but you can't do that until you first fix the relationship you have with yourself Mm. and relationship with self. That's something I've I've spent so much time thinking about lately. Like I don't want to shamelessly plug my other podcast projects like on Mm -hmm. this show, but I had the good fortune of interviewing a guy named Andy Grant about a year or so ago, people have called him the, the the king of authenticity. And like the, the conversation we had with him, he was basically talking about how a toxic relationship with self had poisoned his entire existence to the point where he gave up on being a successful motivational speaker. He gave up on, you know, enjoying things like walking the dog, driving his car, just gave up and enjoying reading books. He gave up on podcasting, gave up on everything because he didn't know how to comfortably relate to him. Mm. And through re-listening to that, it's like, man, I had so many more thoughts of my own. And again, another unfortunately shameless plug coming here, like August 25th, I've, I've got an episode coming out actually for in the blood 
that's specifically talking about how to identify if you are in a toxic relationship with yourself. And like, I, I won't go into like all the details of like how to identify this, but I'll, I, I can run through the bullet points and maybe some of these will resonate with people and think, oh crap, okay, this is why I need to like work on me regardless of if mom or my kids or dad or whoever it is you're estranged from sees that you've done the work. I think you set yourself for the best chance of successfully like existing inside of your own head. Mm, okay. And, you know, like the, the, the quick thoughts that I'd had on like, you know, like the, the, the key points, how to tell if, if I was in a toxic relationship with myself, if you potentially are a toxic relationship with yourself is, mm -hmm. you know, you, number one, you would Im employ unhealthy coping strategies. Mm-hmm you insult or put yourself down. Mm. You don't take the time for self-care. Mm. You hold yourself to separate standards than what you hold other people to. That's mm. a big one with the estrangement community. So I want everybody yeah. to put a big star beside that one. Mm -hmm. You know, you lean into the drama, you know, for example, like, why does this keep happening to me? Mm -hmm. Good question. If you answer it, if you just sit there meditating on it, it's a bad question. It's bad, bad, bad for you. <laughs> you know, you, you manipulate others to stop supporting you. And that one, I, I know you get it. A lot of people hear that. Right. It's like, well, that's weird. Why would I do that? It's like, because we don't want to hear anything good about the situation. We don't want to hear anything good about ourselves. We want to hear that we're weak, we're powerless, we're victimized, we're whatever. And we're justified in being like, just like really negative in our approach to stuff. Mm -hmm. We entitle ourselves to be just like negative Nancy's, which, you know, doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out this is not a good way to have a healthy relationship with you. <laughs> right. Um, the, the last two are you, you ignore or you refuse to set personal boundaries. That's something mm -hmm. that we've talked about a few times mm -hmm. on the show before. And the last one is like, all of these things leave you like completely incapable of spending much needed time in solitude. Because as, as much as we as people, I believe, have evolved to be social creatures to rely on our relationships with each other, we also need alone time where we kind of like yes. refresh, recharge, reflect. Now, if we spend that alone time with the person in our head who has become a toxic influence on us, how do you think that's going to frame our ability to go out into the world around us and come back, revisit that difficult conversation with mom and dad, revisit mm. that difficult situation with our kids? Like we can't do it because mm -hmm. we spend that alone time basically meditating on the negative, telling ourselves either we tell ourselves you suck or we tell ourselves they suck. Right. <laughs> which in turn ultimately means you suck because if they suck so bad that they're ruining your life, that means you're powerless to resist it. That to me is un unhealthy. So hopefully I didn't go on a little bit too long with that, but that's where my head's been at. No, I think those are all fantastic things and you're right. It's kind of like I talk, um, I talk about, you know, when we, when we reconcile, um, a lot of moms, a lot of estranged parents are just focused on being reconciled. 
and they want quote unquote things to get back to normal. And I'm always saying, no, we don't want it to get back to normal because normal was not healthy because it led to the estrangement. So we want something different. And this is where that work on self comes into play. That's what you're talking about. This negative self, this relationship with self that is toxic. It's important to recognize these things, these bullet points that you've listed out. Because as you were reading those off, I was thinking to myself, I know for sure that most, if not all of those applied to me when I was initially estranged and leading up to my estrangement Mm. until I started really working in therapy on me, not on reconciling with my kids. How do I get reconciled with my kids? Not on what my kids were doing, what my, what I thought my kids should be, should be doing, not doing how they should be changing, et cetera, but really working on me and how can I have a better relationship with myself? So all of those things are, are impossible. When you have that bullet bulleted list there, it's almost impossible to have a good relationship with anyone else. If you, the relationship with yourself is so toxic that you can't you, you can't have healthy thought processes. You can't have healthy perspectives on things when you're in that toxicity. And that is why doing the work on self is so important. When we, when we take the time out to really take a good, long, hard look at who we are and the role that we played within the estrangement, that's the starting point. And then we can get into, okay, now where do I, what do I do with this? Okay. So yes, I had, I had a part in it. And I think that most estranged parents can say, yes, I had a part in it. There are those who don't. And that's a topic for another show at some point. But for those who say I had a part in it, but then they don't know what to do, or they hear me say all the time, do the work. And they're like, well, what the hell is the work? Right? Like, what what does that mean? Right? Self-reflection is not something that we're taught to do. I was never taught that. I was, people pointed the finger and said, I should be doing it differently, but no one told me how to do that differently or in what what options I had to potentially do it differently. So I talk up to parents. This is why one reason why I, I believe in therapy so much is to be able to get outside of yourself and get this neutral third perspective. We spend, I don't know about you, but I know I spent a lot of time in my life hanging out in circles of people who were quote unquote, that echo chamber. They just repeated back to me all the things that I said, all the things that I believed, all the things I wanted, all the things I, all the shoulds and et cetera, that I thought was happening in the world. And when I got to my therapist, I was finally able to have somebody say and present questions to me that I had no one had ever asked before because they were too busy agreeing with me. Mm. Right. And I don't know how we ever can change that toxic relationship with self and toxic relationship with others if we cannot have some sort of self-reflection and how do we get to self-reflection if we're in a steady echo chamber all the time no and like again coming back to like just bringing everything down to like a, a completely personal level 
I think like too often we get hung up in like, how do we fix our, our outside relationships? And like, this is why I got so stuck on the relationship with self is because that's the one relationship that's there 24 seven, like you, you even sleep with it. Okay. Like, right. Even when you're dreaming, you cannot get away with that from, from that relationship with self. And, you know, I was talking to somebody recently and, and she said, well, like, how do I like begin to start addressing this? Like, what does it mean to start introspecting? What does it mean to like reflect? And I said, well, you know, like, and again, this is like a, a custom built <laughs> response for this individual. It may not apply uh -huh. to everybody, but what I suggested to her is like, you know, like if you, if you start looking at your, your head space, like this inner dialogue, compare right. it to a social event, you know, like if you went into like a party and everybody there was hurling insults at you, how long would you stay? Mm. I, I would hope not long. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we get stuck in this, like self abuse, you know, like you deserve it. You're not good enough. You're not lovable. You suck. And just in a variety of different ways it's basically like standing in that room and like, it doesn't occur to us that we've got the option to walk out the door. Like, of course, walk out the door. You don't need to listen to this crap. Even if it's coming from you, you don't need to listen to it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, other things, you know, like to your, to your earlier point, talking about how like you were, you, you don't want to be in an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. That's something that people, I, I think a lot of them really need to think about because we do have this like, natural impulse where if we're feeling um antagonized in some way and with estrangement i think there's a, a recurring theme of that if not a constant <laughs> feeling of feeling antagonized by the situation or by the other party we have this natural impulse to go and seek out a support system you know okay. people that are going to encourage us like look this person says you're horrible I think you're great. Mm -hmm. We do need some element of that. We can't completely right. shy away from it. But I mean, if it gets to the point where nobody's challenging us, like they value us enough to enable us, but they don't value us enough to tell us what we don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. Or they don't understand the value in like, if, if I come and ask you a simple question, like, what do you want for dinner? And your first thing is to turn around and say, well, I don't know. What do you want for dinner? It's like, I'm not asking you to tell me what I think. I'm asking right. you to tell me what you think. Okay. Mm. So if we start approaching our, our support system with that attitude and, and like, if we want to be challenged by these people, we got to be prepared to challenge them too. And say, look, I may not like what you have to say. I may not react to it super, super well in the moment. But if you care at all about me, if you care at all about seeing me get better, can you please tell me the difficult truths? I've had enough comforting uh -huh. lies. If I'm an asshole, just tell me straight to my face. And then I can start working on that. Yes. Difficult truths and comforting lies. Wow. Just sit with that for a minute, right? I get where 
it feels really good when you are down in the dumps and life is not, you know, something has happened in life that we didn't expect, didn't want to have happened, etc. And we want people to rally around us, agreeing with us, telling us we're right. How dare that other person hurt us the way that we feel, et cetera. It's, I think it's normal to want people to rally around us for things like that. But at what point do we stop settling for that? And I believe there is a level of just settling with this is the way that life is. And want to grow, grow emotionally, mentally, you know, to, to be able to come into relationship with people differently. I, the, I struggle with that. I, I am such a person that is curious about everything in life that I, I don't understand a desire to stay there right and i know that some especially the estranged moms will say i don't desire to stay here in misery etc but i that would be a challenge question that i would have for them because if you don't desire to stay there what are you doing differently to get yourself out of it and for a lot of them going to therapy is something you know that is completely foreign to them. And that's when I challenge them. What are you doing differently? Are you in therapy to be able to, to navigate things in a different way, to learn different techniques, learn different things. Um, and they're really resistant to that. So where there is a level, even if it's subconscious of this desire to stay put, and I have to say, I wonder if that desire to stay put, if there's a level of fear that's beneath that, right? This fear, because I, human beings, we're all fearful of change, right? My God, if things change from the way that they are, you know, how will I deal with that? How, what will that look like? The unknown, fear of the unknown and things like that. Yet, we go through life with this unknown. If you have had children you have lived a life of the unknown, right? There's pregnancy is unknown. Adoption is unknown. I mean, th it's uh, life is unknown. So there you've had the courage to step into those unknowns. Why the resistance to step into the unknown of self and begin to change that? I don't know. I don't know if that's question that can be answered i don't but that's a question that i would have for people the the, the amateur philosopher in me <laughs> my juices start flowing as soon as you start <laughs> posing this question because i think a lot of these challenges that you're talking about the things that we like willingly will step into these are the challenges of external situations and we get used to challenging yeah. ourselves externally but challenging ourselves internally it's not like there's a thousand and one different paths inside. There's like one way in mm -hmm. one way out. And that's one door. We, we just, we're not conditioned to walk through. 
you know, I I think when people settle, I mean, maybe, maybe there is that element of fear that you're talking about. I mean, it could be a lot of things. Uh I think a lot of people, it's not like they, they make a decision to settle. It's just a case of like, I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to stay put right here. Right. And a lot of people will be like, well, in the absence of new information, I'm going to do what I've always done. I'm going to hope for the best, you know, Uh and for those people, I always share this, this one quote that somebody gave me years ago and absolutely loved it because it just changed my whole perspective on things, which was what got you here won't get you there. Uh, Yes. Okay. So like, that's one point for everybody to stew on. That's a real easy one too. Mm -hmm. you want to know why don't go back to old habits well that's why you want to end up right back in this same place you do the things you've always done you know and one one exercise that was suggested to me in therapy that which is another one like i would love to take credit for it but i didn't come up with it and some of you probably have heard of that exercise you know where you write a letter to your younger self Mm -hmm. That for me, that exercise exposed a lot of things, but that was only part of a three-part homework assignment that I got from my therapist. She told me to write a letter to my younger self, you know, from present day, Uh a letter to future self from present day, and then a letter from future self to present day. Mm. And when I went through all these things, like each one of those letters, like, I don't know where to start. I I gained some interesting things. First of all, I understood exactly which part of childhood was the most traumatic to me because when I started writing, I realized I was writing to myself at six and a half years old. Uh So that was like one piece of the puzzle. It all, it all ties into like this, Uh like improving the relationship with self, right? I mean, if you know what's where your greatest hurts are, well, then you can identify where your triggers are. You can start navigating the present a little bit more effectively. Correct. But as much as it's important to look back to find out, okay, like how does the past affect the present? We also got to look forward and think, okay, like where is it that I'm hoping to end up? Because one of the the, the self-care elements that like I've recently discovered that most people overlook is the importance of setting goals, mm-hmm. which sounds like maybe it's a weird fit with like all the other self-care stuff that's fairly obvious and doesn't need to be listed, but when you get used to like having something to look forward to, like that really is necessarily good for you and it is necessary to do. So when you think about like where you see yourself in some indeterminate number of years, that was another thing that was flushed out by writing the letter to future self, because I realized that like, that gave me a decent idea of what the time frame of was where like in my ideal subconscious mind, I, I wanted to like be where I needed to be. Like for me, it was like, okay, we're talking like 10, 15 years in the future. Okay. Mm-hmm. A 10 to 15 year plan that that's doable. I don't care who you are, unless you're like old or sick to the point where you don't have that many years, but mm-hmm. under normal circumstances. Right. Right. And I, I found that that was like, it was eye-opening. It helped me again, deal with present self. Now, when I think about again, coming back to like, okay, why am I in this holding pattern right now today? Why is it that like, I'm either reverting to old patterns or I'm staying put or settling as you put it. 
that was exposed when you know again like through through these letters i realized that like when when i was communicating with future self not only did it give me an idea where i wanted my goals to be it gave me an idea of how much resentment i had because when i was thinking in terms of the perspective from which i was writing the letter to the younger self it was like a lot of encouragement you know, you're going to get through this. Your mom and uh-huh. dad are trying. They love you. I mean, life is hard. It doesn't seem like you're going to get through, but I promise you, you will. Because I did. And I uh-huh. knew. I was deeply resentful of future me for not writing a letter back in time to give me some insight into what the hell is wrong with me right now. Uh-huh. And I realized that this hateful relationship I had with this ideal future version of myself, the, the hate-based and resentment, like... I can't achieve my goals because that future version of me is a total prick. I'm hurting today. That guy has got all the knowledge of the steps I'm about to take and he's not sharing the insight. And I realized that subconsciously I'm avoiding becoming that guy. And that's why I'm stuck right here. Uh, That's why I won't take a step forward. So uh, hopefully that is useful to whoever's listening and hopefully to you as well. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've not, I've not ever heard of that. Those three exercises. I have heard of the one writing a letter to your younger self, but not the future and the future back to the present. So um, hmm, it it should be full of surprises for anybody who does it. I mean, I don't imagine everybody's going to have the same reactions I did, but you will walk away having learned some super, super vitally important stuff. Exactly. And anything that can help us in the present day, I think is helpful, right? When we we get so caught up in the past and out into the future at times, more so in the past, I think, than we do into the future, that we're oftentimes not present today. And right. that we're missing out on so much of life when we're not present in the here and now. Um, what do you think as we begin to, to wrap this up for today, what would, what advice would you give to estranged parents and or estranged adult children <clears throat> who are doing their work? And the other party is not, to their knowledge. And they feel as if there's there's no hope that that person is ever going to do anything any different. And here you have been doing your work. You've, you know, you, you're doing the self-reflection. You're... You've learned so much about yourself. You've you're navigating the world differently. You maybe even go so far as to have a different perspective on estrangement. And you don't know what that other person is doing. What would you tell the person who says this was this was all for naught? Because it's it didn't re- lead to rec- reconciliation. I think if you're doing the work and like your singular goal is reconciliation. I think that that is not the best goal. Mm -hmm. 
I think that your primary objective should always be how do I figure out how to successfully navigate this uncomfortable, painful, overwhelming situation? Mostly like as like I've already beaten the point to death, like you got to get into a healthy relationship with yourself because if you don't have that healthy headspace, nothing else you do is going to be healthy. Right. You know, none of our external relationships is guaranteed as much as we would like them to be sometimes. Mm -hmm. Every one of these things is fragile. It, unfortunately, like it, it's got like a high probability for some volatile element at the very least. Most of us are one conversation away from losing somebody important and we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say like our, our external relationships are not guaranteed. What relationship is guaranteed is the relationship that I have with me that you have with you. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense to me to do the most amount to work on the one relationship that you can't get away with no matter how hard you try. And should the situation arise where you've got an opportunity, not necessarily to reconcile, but you cross paths with this person from whom you're estranged. Even if this person is just as toxic, abusive, they're just as much of a monster as they've always been. This is assuming that whatever hurt views you have of them are accurate. Let's just say that okay. they've done no work. They're still incredibly difficult people. The dynamic will have drastically changed if you've worked on your ability to navigate you, okay. your ability to come to terms with yourself, your feelings, your triggers, your reactions. And what I have learned is that like through doing the work on myself, it's like what I, when I remember crossing or not crossing paths with, when I remember dealing with somebody who was difficult, you know, I get it in my head. So-and-so is a difficult person when the reality is so-and-so was a difficult person for past me to deal with mm. Present me finds this person quite easy uh -huh. because I've done the work uh -huh. and that in a gigantic, complicated, multifaceted nutshell uh -huh. is why you have to work on you right. and not worry about what they're doing on them. Correct. Yes. Yes. That's beautiful. Yes. What they say, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we are always with ourselves. And so when we can do that work, um, you know, it's interesting because I've had many relationships since my estrangement and doing the work on myself where I have been able to interact with people who were previously difficult and either have now put boundaries into place around me that helped me to navigate that relationship differently or I'm just no longer bothered by that person which still astounds me today when I when I think about those things having done that work on myself has allowed me to face the triggers to work on the things that I found quote-unquote impossible to deal with with other people and today I'm like was it really that difficult or was it just 
the things going on within me that was making it difficult to deal with that person um, and can see things completely different through a different lens. And that is it, that to me is was worth all of the work that I did post estrangement in figuring out what led me to doing the work on myself was initially this. I've got to figure out a way out of this. Mm. That was my first statement to self. And that wasn't a, I've got to figure out a way out of this so that my kids will come back to me and we can get quote unquote, get back to normal. It was, I've got to figure out a way to get out of this sadness, this grief, this depression, this, I can't live my life like this anymore. And that's when I started working on me. I didn't go into therapy saying, how can I fix my kids? How can I convince my kids to like me again and love me and want to be around me? That wasn't anything. It was what, what do I need to do about me mm. and my relationship with self? Um, and that again, circling back around to the beginning of this conversation has had ripple out effects. Just as this estranged mom that I talked to yesterday now has a completely different relationship with her son. I have another estranged mom who reconciled with her daughter she has said she has a different relationship with her husband. She's getting ready to retire. And she talks all the time now about how she's excited about retirement with her husband because they now she now has done the work on herself and now has a different way of being in relationship with him and has helped her to have a different relationship with her coworkers as she begins to wind down her career and retire. So doing the work on self is not my recommendation is not for the sole reason of reconciling it's for the sole reason of as you talked about earlier coming out of the toxicity in the relationship that you have with yourself getting into a positive healthy happy loving kind relationship with self which will then have the ripple out effects into the rest of the world and all of your other relationships. So that is why to me, you do the work and not worry about what the other person is doing or not doing well, because sure. by default, the work you're doing will change the dynamics of the relationship. Yes. Agreed. Absolutely. 100% agreed. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we'll wrap up for today. Thanks again. Um, this was great. This was a really, really good and an important topic, I think, and something that, as you said, we hear often. And I hope that, I hope the folks listening will be able to find some takeaway nuggets out of there. So yeah, thanks again, Daisy. And thank you. This brings this episode to a close. I hope that this time together was time you feel well spent and that you were able to find some takeaway nuggets to help you on your journey, wherever you may be on your estrangement and reconciliation path. If you feel you've received something helpful or positive from this podcast, please consider following us, sharing this podcast with others, leaving a positive review, perhaps entertaining becoming a guest on our show or following us on social media, 
on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok under the same name, The Estranged Heart. As a reminder, there is an online support group on Facebook. If you are a estranged mom who identifies as being spiritual and approaches estrangement with a sense of curiosity rather than blame and judgment and desire to do inner self-work and reflection, please seek us out. We can be found at facebook.com backslash estranged mothers support group. And lastly, if you are an estranged parent or an estranged adult child and would like to have your story shared on the podcast anonymously or not, please reach out to me via email at theestrangedheart at gmail.com.